Conference play is underway in the Big 12 Conference. Welcome in, everybody. Week four is in the books. I'm Pete Mundo on heartlandcollegesports.com. We cover the Big 12. Appreciate you joining us on YouTube, on Facebook Live, on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, YouTubers, as you roll on in, hit that thumbs up button. Helps this show tremendously. Subscribe as well. If you're a Big 12 fan and you want the best Big 12 analysis you're going to get anywhere. We've been doing this now for almost 10 years. Started off with just me and a laptop, and now we got a full staff. We've got uh, you know millions of you consuming our content on a monthly basis, and we couldn't do it without you at the grassroots level spreading the word of this show. So appreciate you guys being a part of it. And of course, on the podcast, leave a rating, review, subscribe, you get the koozie. When you send me a screenshot of your five-star rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. So for the Big 12, kind of like when you watch local news, have you heard the saying, if it bleeds, it leads? Do you know what that means? It, basically what it means is, well, if something is bleeding, if God forbid there's some kind of tragedy, that's going to lead the nightly newscast. Because whether people want to admit it or not, that's oftentimes what they want. And there are three Big 12 programs that are bleeding badly right now based on what the preseason expectations were. And those teams are Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech. So I'm going to start with them and go through each game here in the Big 12. And um, we'll be talking about it here on Heartland College Sports. So Baylor got dismantled by Texas. 38 to 6. As I'm watching this game, you know, it's the first half. It's still kind of a game. Baylor's getting in the red zone. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, why is Baylor trying to run it between the tackles against Texas? What are they possibly thinking trying to run it against Texas between the tackles where they were getting slaughtered all day? It was not close between these two teams in the trenches. And it was evident by the fact that Baylor rushed for under two yards a carry and Texas ran for over five yards a carry. And Texas also racked up five sacks and eight tackles for loss against Baylor. So I'm watching this game and I'm like, what are they doing and what are they thinking as well? That can't be overstated. What are they thinking? And the answer to me was not much. Now, you've got this Baylor team that's lost to Texas State, that played three good quarters against Utah, that um, didn't look good against LIU in a win last week, and now got destroyed against Texas. And you have to wonder if Dave Aranda's seat is getting warm. Not hot. The guy won a Big 12 title two years ago. But last year they were predicted to win the Big 12, and they fell on their faces. They barely got to a bowl game. This year could get ugly quickly for Baylor sitting there at one and three. And while I think Dave Aranda is a great man and I think he's a good head coach, uh, if this year completely falls off the tracks, you're going to be wondering whether or not he is the guy. And it will be fair to wonder based on how this season goes the rest of the way. But it is hideous right now in Waco and there's no other word to use. I don't want to use that word. I thought Baylor was going to show up on Saturday. I, I didn't believe they were the better team, but I thought they would show up. And they didn't show up. I mean, Texas ran them right out of the building in that first quarter. Now, Texas looks really good. I know some of you guys are watching on YouTube and, you know, you see my uh, horns down over there and you think I'm not going to give Texas a fair shake. That's not true. Texas looks 
far and away the best team in the Big 12 right now. Like, there is Texas, and then there's everybody else. That's what it looks like in the Big 12 right now. Texas looks like a team, a legitimate top five team, that can play for a college football playoff and in a college football playoff. Now, I'm not going to sit here right now before the calendar goes to October and predict that, but what I will say about the Longhorns is that I don't know who's going to compete with them in this league based on what we've seen one month into the year. I, 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 do you? I mean, find me the team. Try to leave your biases at the door and find me the team. So it's not only that Texas has its most talented team that it's had in quite some time. The Big 12 as a whole looks to be down. And that can play a factor in this thing as well. But the Longhorns, I mean, they are just clicking on all cylinders right now. And it is shaping up to be the kind of year where Texas finally can say that they're back. I'm not saying they're back yet. They're 4-0 and 1-0 in the Big 12. But the schedule also shapes up pretty nicely. Now, suddenly that game against Kansas next week has a lot of intrigue because Kansas, to me, might be one of the dark horses in the Big 12. I'll get to that coming up. But after Kansas and OU, I mean, it's Houston and BYU, K-State, TCU, Iowa State, Texas Tech. It's not easy, but it certainly looks manageable based on what Texas has done so far this year. So that is worth watching as Texas continues to look like the team to beat in the Big 12 based on what we've seen thus far. Now you look around the rest of this conference, and I mentioned some of the train wrecks. Um, Oklahoma State is one of those train wrecks right now. There is no disputing that. Oklahoma State is sitting there at 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Now if you had told me Oklahoma State would score 27 points in this game, I would have expected to win, which tells you a lot. Because this game had an over-under of 36, and the over hit before halftime between these two teams. You can't predict college football. But the question for Oklahoma State was, who's the quarterback? And finally, it was announced during the pregame on Saturday that Mike Gundy was going to roll with Alan Bowman. And that's fine. It's not who I would have rolled with based on what I saw the first three games, but Heck, it's Mike Gundy. He played the position. He knows the position. He's forgotten more about the position than I know. But based on what my two eyes saw, I didn't see Alan Bowman as the best quarterback in the first three games. But whatever. At least he picked the guy and he stuck with the guy, for crying out loud. That's, that's a step in the right direction. Now, was Bowman great? No, I didn't think he was great. But do I look at Alan Bowman and say he's the reason they lost? I don't think so. I don't. I mean, you know, Rocco Beck was slinging that ball all over the field uh, for the Cyclones. Uh, Rocco Beck, I mean, I'm like, what am I watching here in Ames? Who are you and what have you done with the Iowa State offense? (laughs) Jalen Knoll had himself a game, 146 receiving yards. Daniel Jackson had a couple of touchdown catches. Um, Iowa State's offense looked like something we haven't seen since the Brock Purdy era. Uh, That was pretty to watch. Now, the running game... uh, still is a not looking very good at all for the Cyclones. They average just barely over two yards a carry. But all in all, you got to be looking at this and saying to yourself, hey, Iowa State put up 34 points. Got to win. Iowa State, for as bad as the non-conference was, is sitting there at 1-0 in Big 12 play. And that much you got to like if you're a Cyclones fan after last year's disastrous season. So you're heading in the right direction. You're two and two. Of course, you wish you were sitting there at three and one, but you're two and two, and you're one and zero in the Big Twelve, and you have a trip to Norman coming up. 
So, and by the way, Rocco Becht is a guy who I said last week, stick with him, ride with him. He's not been the problem thus far. He had the food poisoning last week, had some pieces out. That's not going to be the problem for Iowa State as I see it right now. And that was clearly not the case yesterday. He was not the issue. There are other parts of this team that still need work. But Rocco Beck is not one of them. Now, for Oklahoma State, frankly, I'm not sure what's any good for this team right now. I like Ollie Gordon at running back a lot. But, man, you look around this team, and there is a lot of work to be done. You're giving up 34 to Iowa State. That's problematic out of the gates, right? Especially when you're talking about some of the high-flying offenses you're going to be facing in the Big 12. And if you can't keep up with this offense, which one are you going to keep up with if you're Oklahoma State? The best thing for Oklahoma State is they can't lose this week because they got a bye week. And then they have a Friday night game against Kansas State, and then it's Kansas, then it's to Morgantown, which suddenly looks trickier than it did just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, two weeks after that, you got Bedlam, final ever. I, I, a schedule that we thought was soft before the season for Oklahoma State doesn't look as soft as it did back in mid-August. And Oklahoma State, as a program, looks much softer than it did not all that long ago. So there are issues there in Stillwater. Is Mike Gundy worthy of being on the hot seat? I, I don't think so. He's Mike freaking Gundy in Stillwater, Oklahoma. But it is fair to have the conversation as to whether or not he has embraced the way of the world in college football. That being the transfer portal, that being name, image, likeness. I mean, there's a handful of these guys that you also wonder that about. Mike Gundy, Dabo Sweeney, heck, people are wondering Nick Saban. Have some of these guys who have been doing this forever, who are more part of the old school mentality, have they properly embraced transfer portal and NIL like they should have in hindsight and like they need to going forward to maintain the level of success that they've had in the past? I'm not putting Gundy on the level of Sweeney and Saban, but you get the point. They're of the same mindset. And Mike Gundy's going to have to start embracing that stuff if he wants to get this team back to competing at the top of the Big 12. Because right now, I don't see the path for Oklahoma State in the next couple of years to be competing at the top of the Big 12 without highly utilizing the portal and having successful NIL deals. I don't see how they're going to do it. So you adapt or you die. And that's how it's going to be for Mike Gundy and a lot of these guys, by the way, across not just the Big 12, but college football too. So uh, the last of the teams that are really in crisis mode right now, and then we'll get to the other games, West Virginia beating Texas Tech. If I told you back in August that Texas Tech and West Virginia would play each other in week four, and one of these teams would end up 3-1, and one, and the other one would end up 1-3. 99 out of 100 of us would have said Tech is 3-1, and one, West Virginia is 1-3. That's not what happened. West Virginia's 1-0 in the Big 12, 3-1 overall. Texas Tech is sitting there at 1-3 overall and 0-1 and in the Big 12. Now, first thing, Tyler Shuck. You look at Tyler Shuck and you say to yourself, gosh dang. Poor guy can't get out of his own way. Third straight season, he's been dealing with an injury. Reports are 
you know, broken fibula and likely to miss, if not the rest of the season, most of it. You feel awful for the guy. But at the same time, that's not an excuse for why Texas Tech necessarily lost this game. Texas Tech is not the team I thought they were going to be. I, I thought they had the pieces to really start making some noise in the Big 12, and they don't appear to have that. By the way, Baron Morton came in, and he wasn't any great shakes by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just sitting here looking at this team saying, 13 points? 13? Now, West Virginia's got a stingy defense. We've seen that the last couple of weeks. But my goodness, you guys took Oregon down to the wire Two weeks ago, and Oregon just blew out Colorado. By the way, shows you the unpredictability of college football. Texas Tech lost to Wyoming. That loss doesn't look as awful, considering Wyoming has hung with Texas as well in the last couple of weeks. But still, I this Texas Tech team has a lot of questions to answer. And you know what? It came down to the end. Baron Morton missed a wide-open receiver in the back of the end zone. And that ultimately resulted in West Virginia hanging on for the win and that game not going to overtime. So there's a lot of people in that locker room who are going to be kicking themselves over the uh, way that this game ended. But I'll tell you what, when you look at West Virginia, you have to give them an enormous amount of credit. This defense is leading the way for West Virginia. The Mountaineers had a couple of sacks, four tackles for loss. On top of that, 10 passes defended for the Mountaineers in this game. They were all over the place, keeping Texas Tech's offense in check. I, this, this offense has a lot of work to do. I like running back C.J. Donaldson. I'm not sure about the quarterback just yet. It feels a little early for me there. But the defense, man, this West Virginia defense is going to keep this team in a lot of games. And suddenly, here we are, West Virginia's 3-1. and one. And we wondered before the season if Neil Brown would make it to Halloween. Now we're wondering if Neil Brown is going to have this team bowl eligible by Halloween. That's how good this season has been. Look at what they've got coming up for West Virginia. Uh, Suddenly these games look very winnable. At TCU, at Houston, versus Oklahoma State, at UCF. That's the next four games. They win three of those, they're bowl eligible. Is it insane to think the Mountaineers are bowl eligible by Halloween? It's not insane. I'm not going to say it's likely. I think, you know, two and two is probably more likely. But either way, suddenly Neil Brown is like, you know, I I don't think they're a dark horse because I don't know about this offense. I need to see a little more out of the quarterback position before I start sitting here and telling you they're a real dark horse. I just don't know how you could do it without – more consistent quarterback play than what West Virginia has right now. But that being said, I love Donaldson in the backfield. Um, He's healthy. He's back. He's looking good. He's looking fresh. The running game is putting it together. But eventually, Big 12 defenses are going to say, okay, beat us through the air, Nico Marischal. Beat us through the air. That's what they're going to want to see. And until they see that, I don't see how we can sit here and call the Mountaineers a legitimate dark horse. I'm certainly not capable of doing that right now. I I can't. I won't. But they're 3-1. and You hope it's not a tease if you're a West Virginia fan, and you got to like a lot of what this team has going on. So those are the top three storylines and games 
uh, coming out of week four. Now for the rest of the games. Oklahoma beating Cincinnati 20-6. to So, I t- by the way, I went 1-1-1 one, one, one on my bad bet, lock, and underdog of the week. My lock was Iowa State minus three. I nailed that. My underdog was BYU plus 10. I missed that by a point. And then um, my bad bet was Cincinnati plus 14. That was a push against Oklahoma. Oklahoma won 20-6. So OU's defense looks like the real deal. This is a Brent Venables defense for the Oklahoma Sooners. But I'm still taking a bit of a wait-and-see approach because I don't think Cincinnati's offense is all that good based on what I'm starting to see. I give OU's defense a lot of credit. Seven tackles for loss, a couple of sacks. I mean, they were all over the place in that game, and they locked down in the red zone. But also, Cincinnati was and has been putrid inside of their opponent's 25-yard line. I mean, they have just been horrific. They can move the ball pretty well between the 25s, the 20s. Once they get inside their opponent's 25 of the red zone, I mean, they are just hopeless. They cannot move the ball. And you saw that again on Saturday against OU. I mean, this could have been a ball game on multiple occasions, but Cincinnati could not get the darn ball in the end zone. They just they, they couldn't do it. So, I, I, you know, does Emory Jones look like a winning Power 5 quarterback? Not based on what I've seen thus far. But at the same time, it's not all on him for why this team can't move the ball in the red zone. It's, it's, it's not. You can't say it is. So that was problematic if you're a Cincinnati fan, if you're an OU fan. You like what you saw for the most part, right? You have to. But a lot of fans were getting on Jeff Lebby, especially in that first half, for this offense. Now, it is true that if OU doesn't score 50 points, OU fans are going to get on the offense. You know, you get spoiled when you have Lincoln Riley at the helm running that show for several years. And that's true for any team. I'm not knocking OU fans when I say that. I'm saying any fan base that had Lincoln Riley as OC and then head coach for, you know, over half a decade, there's some coming back down to earth that has to happen here. But the good news is this. Unlike Lincoln Riley teams, you don't have to score 56 points to win. You can win a game 20 to 6. That must feel good if you're an OU fan. You know that your defense this year under Brent Venables is arguably the best defense you've seen in a couple decades in Norman, Oklahoma. So that alone has to have you feeling pretty good about where this unit's at and where this team is going forward. You got a road conference win. You take it, you run home to Norman, and you try to get better. So that, that's I'm not going to look into it too much. We all know that for OU's sake, they got Iowa State this week, and then it's the Red River. And the Red River is going to be the ultimate test to find out where this team is this season. They could still play for a Big 12 title if they lose that game, but that'll give us the ultimate analysis for where this team is and how much progress they've made from last year. Now, um, elsewhere in the Big 12 Conference, TCU handles SMU 34-17, the Iron Skillet. That game is, of course, coming to an end after 2025. TCU announcing it's not going to play it going forward. Uh, Chandler Morris is quietly putting together a very nice season for TCU. Uh, You look at this team and you say they've gotten better every single week. And Imani Bailey has been the dude. He has been the best running back in the Big 12 consistently through the first month of the season. 
Touchdown, 25 carries, 126 yards. He has been really good for the Horn Frogs. And if you're a TCU fan, um, not that you don't miss Kendra Miller, but you certainly thought the guy was going to be maybe Trey Sanders in the backfield. He was the Alabama transfer. But it's been Imani Bailey who has stepped to the plate and been a stud in that backfield for the Horn Frogs. So it's been a lot of fun to watch him continue to progress if you're a TCU fan. And it's amazing. I mean, Chandler Morris, I mean, he is, it feels like every week you watch a TCU game. And outside of Jared Wiley, the tight end, you're like, who, who are all these guys he's throwing to? And then after the game, you look at the box score, and there's like 12 guys who caught passes. So they're still trying to figure out that rotation. But you'd rather have too many guys than not enough if you're TCU. And that's, that's what they've got right now. So it's a good non-conference win against an SMU team that still has a ways to go. And uh, TCU finds itself sitting there at 3-1 and one right now in the Big 12. Uh, overall, 1-0 in the Big 12. They beat Houston last week. And now uh, a tricky game against West Virginia coming up on Saturday. So um, we'll continue to learn about this TCU team that I think is going to get better every single week in the conference. Uh, all right, let's go. Let's do this game. Let's do this one here. All right. Then we got uh, one more after this. Oh, two more. Excuse me. Kansas beats BYU 38-27. Kansas looks to me like the potential dark horse in the Big 12. This Kansas team certainly is not your father's Kansas team. It's not your older brother's Kansas team if your older brother was one year older than you, like last year. This Kansas team has depth in the trenches in a way that I've not seen and nobody's seen in a very long time. Lance Leipold, it is incredible what he has done in such a short period of time. Kansas football is 4-0, and no one's talking about it because none of us are shocked by it anymore. If I told you three years ago that Kansas football would be 4-0, and we would all say, yeah, and... You would think that we'd be living on Mars or something. You wouldn't believe it. But here we are. And it's because they've got arguably the best offensive player in the Big 12 in Jalen Daniels. They've got a defense as well that continues to get better, continues to impress every single week. I mean, it wasn't the prettiest of games when you look at the defense. Um, but you don't necessarily need to have a defense that's locking down opponents to 10 points every week. Your Kansas is going to score. They got a lot of options at wide receiver, a lot of talent there. You have Devin Neal, who to me is one of the best running backs in the Big 12, hands down. It's not even close. And the defense is doing enough. It's getting the job done as it needs to. I mean, they spent a lot of time in that BYU backfield last, uh, last night. Three sacks, seven tackles for loss, nine passes defended against Keaton Slovis, who... I heard a lot of things out of Provo in the offseason, how high they were on Keaton Slovis. I am not. I mean, they won that Arkansas game arguably in spite of him. Um, he had missed opportunities against Kansas. I liked a lot about this BYU team. I just don't think they got the dude at quarterback right now to win big in the Big 12. They're going to be competitive. They're going to win games. But I mean win big. And like when the calendar goes to November – you want to be in contention to get to Arlington for a Big 12 title game? I don't think BYU's got that capability this season. But there's a lot to like about this team still. 
um, top to bottom. That being said, Kansas was the better team in the trenches. Kansas held, look at this, Kansas held BYU to nine rushing yards. BYU averaged 0.4 yards per rush. Now, Kansas has got to improve in the secondary, but this Kansas team was dominant in the trenches. And that is something that Lance Leipold has worked very hard to accomplish. He's done it. He's done it successfully. And it has resulted to me in the team that ultimately can be the dark horse in this league to end up in Arlington by the end of the season. That's, uh, that's been darn impressive. And yes, you know, you're right. Some of you are pointing out as well, as we should, when you look at yesterday's game, the defensive touchdowns for Kansas, I mean, don't overlook that. Kenny Logan, right? Um, that was darn impressive. I mean, that was a lot of fun to watch. You had the fumble return early in the game for the touchdown, Kobe Bryant. So uh, Kansas is making big plays on both sides of the ball, and I cannot wait to suddenly see how this game plays out against Texas this week. I think people are going to be surprised by this game in Austin on Saturday, which is 2.30 on ABC, baby. Let's go. Uh, two other games I'll quickly touch on before we get to the late-night game, K-State-UCF. Houston and uh, Sam Houston. I'll just say this. Houston needed this win. You don't learn anything from it. You don't take anything from it. You just say Dana Holgerson, who last week called his offense embarrassing, needed this game. He needed Donovan Smith to get on track. He needed something to come at the running game. And by the way, keep an eye on Parker Jenkins. He led Houston yesterday with 105 rushing yards and three touchdowns. True freshman guy, former three-star product, local dude in the Houston area. Um, he stayed home. He committed to the Cougars. And as a true freshman, he may have just solidified himself as the starting running back. He should be the starting running back going forward, I will add. But you're not going to take a lot from this game against against Sam Houston State. You're just not going to do it, nor should you do it, if you're a Houston fan, outside of saying, you know what, it's a win, we're excited about that, and now we move on. Uh, the last game of the night, Kansas State and UCF. So my first thought about this game is, if you're a K-State fan, I, I would ask you, uh, Deuce who? I'm kidding. I'm messing with you. But DJ Giddens uh, gave you every reason to believe that this backfield is going to be fine. DJ Giddens is a classic K-State football player. I don't mean because he's tough and he runs hard and he runs downhill. I mean because this guy is from Kansas. He was a zero-star recruit. And the dude just did something Deuce Vaughn never did. Four rushing touchdowns, 202 rushing yards. Those are two numbers that Deuce Vaughn never eclipsed, never got to. And DJ Giddens did it on Saturday night at home to open up Big 12 play against UCF. It was so impressive. And the offensive line obviously deserves a lot of credit for it. But um, this Kansas State team looks like the Kansas State team that I predict to play out the rest of the year. Tough, especially on the offensive line. Very good, by the way, in the defensive front as well. They had four sacks, eight tackles for loss against UCF on Saturday night. It was a lot of fun to watch if you're a, if you're a K-State fan to see how this game played out. Now, the score doesn't tell the whole story. If you see 44-31, you think that 
K-State ran away with it. UCF had a lead 24-21 in this game early in the third quarter. And the first half ended poorly for K-State because they missed a field goal, an easy field goal to end the first half. And then UCF takes that lead early in the third quarter after Timmy McClain hit Kobe Hudson for a 46-yard touchdown. I like those guys a lot, by the way. That's going to be a duo to watch. Timmy McClain, the lefty, um, not a big drop-off there, a quarterback. He's a real dual-threat guy. Kobe Hudson's a stud at wide receiver for UCF. (coughs) That being said, you look at this game and you say to yourself, what happened? Well, I think that K-State just started to will and use its power and its depth and wore down this UCF team over time. And that's really what you saw. The Wildcats put together an 11-play, 85-yard drive that gave them a lead entering the fourth quarter. And then UCF missed a long field goal at about the 10-minute mark, and the Cats took control again. They wore them down, 13 plays, 65 yards, six minutes off the clock. They take a two-score lead with four minutes to go, and then Will Howard runs in a touchdown as well two minutes later. At that point, it's 44-24 before UCF puts up a garbage-time touchdown. UCF still has um, potential to be the best of the new four teams in the Big 12 this year, but I, you know, they are going to struggle to stop teams, especially on the ground, uh, and teams are going to take advantage of them, by the way, with that. K-State racked up. 281 rushing yards, seven yards a carry. That's got to change for UCF to compete. If not, it couldn't end up being a long season for them. But I like the offense. I like the weapons there. Um, And UCF is going to play in some fun games in the Big 12 this year. There's no doubt about it. But the defense is going to have to help the offense in a big way. But the other thing is, when you look at this week, the new four teams, clearly there's some room to go till they're Big 12 ready. UCF lost by, or um, in week three, Houston lost by 23 to TCU. And then you look at yesterday, and it was UCF losing the game we just mentioned. It was BYU falling to Kansas. And then it was Cincinnati losing to OU. So there's, there's going to be some growing pains there for those teams. There's no doubt about it. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports. Hey, YouTubers, do me a solid. Hit that thumbs up button on your screen. That helps us tremendously grow this show. Also, subscribe to the channel. Would you do that for us? And if you're on the podcast, leave a rating, review, subscribe. We'll get you a Heartland College Sports koozie. I'll hold one up for you. I got a few of these old school ones left in the mail. When you send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Looking through some of the comments here on YouTube and on Facebook Live. Uh, John says the Cyclones looked great. Uh, let's see that one here. Yeah, no, they they did. They did. Um, but, you know, I'm taking with a grain of salt there, John, because I don't think Oklahoma State is any good. I don't. West Virginia is better than people realize. That's also on there. Okay, I, I got to see a little more. I'm sorry. I don't think Pittsburgh's any good. I think Texas Tech could end up being the biggest disappointment in the Big 12, although Baylor's going to challenge them for that, so we'll see. Uh, what else do we have here? Oh, Remick, Kansas versus Texas for the Big 12 title. That wouldn't shock me. That, that, that would not shock me one bit. And we're going to find out a lot this weekend. 
Pete, is West Virginia a Big 12 dark horse? No. I, I love the Mountaineers guys are in here. But, uh, no, I, I don't think that they are a dark horse. Uh, Don says Alan Bowman played pretty well. No, I, I didn't think Alan Bowman was the problem for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I, I don't. I don't think that's the problem for them at all, as I'm looking through some of the comments here. Uh, Steven writes, K-State fan here. Let's go KU this weekend. Yeah, how many of you, by the way, are going to be uh, KU fans this weekend, even if you're a K-Stater? Uh, OU struggled against what used to be a group of five team. I'm not impressed. I, I am reserving judgment on OU as well because they had a weak non-conference schedule. And, okay, you want to say Cincinnati's not a true power five team yet? I don't know if that's fair, but it's been a fairly easy schedule thus far. That's why I said what's going to matter is two weeks against Texas. That's when we're really going to find out how improved this program is in year two under Brent Venables. John, K-State has everything in control the next three weeks. By week, bad Oklahoma State team and a disappointing Texas Tech team. That's true. K-State's in fine position to repeat as Big 12 champs. Uh, they can absolutely get there. But right now, to me, it's Texas, based on what I'm seeing, and then it's everybody else in the Big 12. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports. Subscribe to the show. That would mean the world to me, you guys. Thank you so much for doing it. The show is growing because of you. You're sharing it. You're subscribing to it. You're leaving that five-star rating on iTunes and Spotify. You're giving that thumbs up and subscribing on YouTube. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Uh, share the show with your buddies and family, and we'll talk to you soon. I'm Pete Mundo. Check us out. Join us on the message boards at heartlandcollegesports.com. Those are free. And uh, we do have other shows, by the way. We've got team-focused podcasts. So just search Heartland College Sports wherever you get your podcasts, and you will see all of our shows um, that are available as of today. we got a K-State show, a Tech show, a TCU show, a KU show, an OU show, an OSU show. So... Be sure to find those, subscribe to those, and that way you get all the Heartland College sports content. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Have a great rest of the weekend. Take care. Go Big 12.